Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and Happily Divorced Mom, who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's episode is a bit of a companion episode to last week's episode with Rebecca Zung, because today I have Rebecca's partner, Susan Guthrie, on the show. If you heard me on the Breaking Free, a modern divorce podcast last month, then you know that Susan and Rebecca are a super badass team of divorce legal professionals, and I am honored to be collaborating with them on our podcasts and beyond. Susan and Rebecca have created an amazing online mediation platform. Yes, that's right, online mediation. And one of the most unique things about this, their platform, is that it has a mindfulness track in it, which makes it the only online divorce platform of its kind. Now, you know, I'm a life coach, so this is all up in my alley, but it is actually particularly timely for me because while I'm a life coach, if I'm being perfectly honest, I've never been all that into mindfulness other than in theory. Like, I know how it works. Um, I know it works. I know the brain science behind it. I advocate for it, but I have, I used to teach it. <laughs> sort of, you know, vaguely surfacey, um, teach it uh, in corporations. But I haven't really put it into practice in my own life in any really meaningful and consistent way until recently. And I got to say, they're all right. It is a total game changer. Um, so these days, I have been spending my mornings in deep journaling uh, meditation, and even working with tarot cards, which if you know me, you know is totally out there on the woo wagon for me. <laughs> uh, but the effects of just slowing down and spending each morning in self-reflection, meditation, and mindfulness is having profound effects throughout my day. It actually sets up my day so that I can keep reminding myself and pulling myself back into mindfulness throughout the day, um, because it really does set the brain up in the in the very beginning for um, how the rest of the day goes. So, and look, if, if you're going through a divorce or even contemplating one, this is the time to slow down, to get really present and to process through what's happening here and now, even though it's really hard and you probably don't want to. But you are making the biggest legal and financial decisions of your life right now. And they need to be made from a place of mindfulness, calm, and serenity. Otherwise, there can be some really long-term negative effects. So the fact that Susan and Rebecca have this piece in their platform is super important, and it's really amazing. Um, as you know, I love connecting with like-minded professionals, and Susan Guthrie is definitely one of my favorites. So take a listen now to our conversation. 
Susan, thank you so much for being here today to talk to my peoples. It is such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we've already had great conversations on on your podcast, and I've really enjoyed connecting with you and Rebecca and getting to know. I, I love I love the sort of I hate the word networking, <laughs> but it, it's connecting with people who have the same vision for you know the world of divorce that that I do. And that's organic and authentic. So I I agree. I always call it the community of like-minded individuals. Exactly. 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 So, you know, we're going to talk mostly and focus mostly on mediation, but you used to be a litigator and you switched over. So can you sort of tell us a little bit of the arc of that experience and that story? Yeah, that's a great place to start because it really takes up the first, oh gosh, 20 some odd years of my my professional practice. Um, I got out of law school and actually worked on Wall Street for not even a year and realized very quickly that I hated that. Me too. Um, I I made it nine months and then I was like, oh, this is for the birds. <laughs> I did it for a couple of years actually. And I, and I went back, I did it for like a year and then I took a break and then I went back for another year. Yeah. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. It was atrocious. You know, I got out of law school and they throw a lot of money at you to go down and work on Wall Street, but they also work you pretty much 24 hours a day yeah. in a little cubby hole in the back in the dark. So, Awful. you know, they dump like two foot thick con- contracts on my desk and say, read this by tomorrow. <laughs> so that didn't last long. And then I went and I worked for Um, Just really, I was thinking I was filling time. I went to work for a much more traditional law firm that was a general practice firm. They had divisions, you know, they had a business division and a personal injury division, et cetera, and started working for them just to get an idea of what area, other areas of law I might find interesting. And I think as is typical in law firms like that, that uh, that have a general practice, um, they wanted to find a niche for me and the main partners didn't like doing family law. So that's where I got put. They're like, Hey, let the new kid do it. (laughs) Um, They they knew something you didn't know. Oh no, I knew immediately. (laughs) Um, and, and they weren't wrong. Um, but what happened was I, I was trained, you know, you really get into a law firm situation and you have a mentor. I did the, the, actually the name partner became my mentor and he trained me in a very traditional litigation style of divorce practice where you represent your client, you file motions, you go to court and everything is handled, you know, in a very precise and and what I'm going to call adversarial process. But that's all I knew. That's what I learned. And fortunately or unfortunately, I was really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I quickly moved up the ranks in our firm and at a pretty young age took over as the man, became a partner and then became the managing partner of the mat, what we called matrimonial division um, and handled pretty much all of the divorce case with other you know associates working under me. And I, I quickly... Although I was good at it, I quickly burned out on it. 
because it is adversarial. And I think you mentioned you went through a very difficult divorce. And so you know that process is... My divorce was great. It was... Oh, oh, that's right. I apologize. Yes. It was your time period before the divorce that was great. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Sorry about that. Marriage that was terrible. The divorce was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) We did not litigate. There was none of that. Thank well, God. Lucky you two, um, honestly. And what I found, uh, although I did it for 20 years, is I, I was tired of it. I was burned out on it. And my real belief was my clients who kept coming back to me because what they had learned was every time they had a problem with their now ex-spouse, they had to come to their lawyer to get it fixed or taken care of. Um, It was a lot of repeat business. It was a good business model, but I did not have really happy people. Um, That's a, that I call it the institutionalized conflict cycle. And yes, yes. I love that term. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Once you get in it, you never get out of it around it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you're, you know, we're, it's like Pavlov's dogs. Do you have a fight with your ex and you pick up your phone and call your attorney and say, do you know what that bastard just did? File a motion or send a letter to his attorney or, you know, whatever the myriad of nasty things in my arsenal as a litigator that I could do. And even when I was trying to work for my clients to negotiate settlements, you still as a litigator have to be always preparing for trial because you're not doing your job as a, an advocate for your client unless you are ready to go to trial if that becomes an eventuality. So regardless of the fact that I could be trying to negotiate an amicable settlement or at least a reasonable settlement amongst them by talking with the other attorney and putting forth proposals, it still proceeded through that adversarial process and it still divided the parties further and further apart. Um, So about, I would say eight, 10 years ago, a colleague who had jumped ship and gone over to what I call the non-adversarial divorce side uh, came to me and said, you know, because I had mentioned something about just being very tired of the cycle. Mm -hmm. And uh, she convinced me to go to the mediation training and I started mediating. And I just, I find it to be such a superior method for moving through what can be a difficult process, um, but still superior and superior results for the clients that I quickly, you know, moved my practice over. I left the traditional law firm. I opened my own firm um, and solely moved over to a mediation uh, practice. And that's where I am today, 100% mediation only. So tell me what, what is, how does mediation differ from litigation? Like what are the core differences between these, just for those who aren't quite, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People have different ideas. I mean, very good question because people have different ideas and quite often will misunderstand what the mediation process is. So, well, the traditional litigation process is, is very prescribed. It has very set procedures and methods and everything is about compelling actions and moving things forward by 
filing and forcing the other side to do things. Things are not generally done um, in a cooperative manner. Um, whereas mediation is 100% voluntary on the part of both of the parties. They are in that process because they have chosen to be there. And they may have different reasons for being there, but it doesn't really matter as long as they both choose to be there. And then it's done in a cooperative manner. The two parties sit with their mediator, or in my case, my practice is online. So they meet with me by video conferencing and we go through everything in a process where the two of them come to agreements about every single thing. And I think that's the biggest difference the parties make every single decision together. Uh, there are no agreements until the two of them agree there's an agreement, as opposed to in a litigation model where if you two can't agree, that man or woman in the black robe is going to make a decision for you. Right. And, you know, there's both people have to agree to this process. It's, it, it always, it baffles me, right? It, it really boggles my mind because I always think like, why wouldn't you want to mediate? Why would you want for all of that money that by the way, could go to your, you know, your children's college fund, right? All or living, that, or, yeah. living or vacationing, yes. like whatever, right? <laughs> Buy yes. a fucking boat. But, you know, all of that money um, that goes down the tubes in litigation, I mean, I have my own, I have my own um, ideas about why people do this. And so I'm curious about what is it that you, in your experience, um, that has people choose a litigation avenue rather than an avenue that seems just so much more, you know, it's, it costs less, it, it's less of a headache. It's so why do you think people choose one versus the other? You know, so I have a couple of, of ideas around why I think people opt out of mediation. The first one is that they are afraid that without an attorney doing everything for them, that they are going to get, I'm going to use their phrase, screwed, right? They're, they're go not going to get what is fair or they're not going to get what they're entitled to. People love that term when they're getting divorced. I just want what I'm entitled to. Right. So they feel they need the attorney who's, you know, this authority figure to go in there and fight the fight for them. And then, you know, riffing off of that, there's also for many people who are very emotionally upset going through a very difficult time, there's this belief that it is just easier to put it all in the hands of this third-party professional to handle it for them. Um, the idea of sitting down and talking like a grown-up with their soon-to-be ex-spouse about how they're going to divide out and reform their family is just too much for them. Mm -hmm. And so they just think it's going to be easier. And I, I would say that in the end, it's not. Litigation is so much less comfortable, less uh, 
you know, less something that will help you get to a positive result. And all those things you just talked about, it is going to take you infinitely more time. It is going to cost you infinitely more money, and it is going to cause you a great deal more stress than sitting down in a room for a few hours with your soon-to-be ex, or again, do it online where you don't even have to be in the same room with them. Yes, which is what you do. You do this all online. 100%. My practice for a few years now has been 100% online. And I have to say, not only do my clients love it for the reason that they do not need to be in the same room with their soon-to-be ex, but they also don't have to deal with traffic. They don't have to take a half day off of work because they have to go to their mediation. You know, when I was practicing in Connecticut, most of my clients or many of my clients worked in Manhattan, which was, you know, an hour train ride plus car, you know, commuting. They would have to leave work in the middle of the day or not show up until late in the day if they were going to come to my office to mediate. So clients love it. And I have to be honest, I love it because I'm sitting in my home, in my dedicated office space, um, able to work with people all around the world. I do mediations. Right now I have some mediations in Europe. I have a few in Canada and all across the United States. Yeah. So everyone hear that? It doesn't matter where you are. (laughs) You can (laughs) hire Susan. Yes. I think it's brilliant. I mean, I really do. I think it's utterly brilliant because like you said, all of these factors, you sort of, you're, you're taking out so many of the factors that make mediation difficult or emotionally difficult or painful for people. Right. And you just sort of take that out of the equation and like done. And that's what I think my, you know, people are afraid of tech to a certain degree. Although I think that it's really the mediators and the professionals who are more nervous about it than Mm -hmm. the clients. Cause the clients face it, our whole world these days, everything is technology, right? Everything, right. So people at work are zooming. We're zooming right now, right? I call Mm -hmm. it zooming, but we're, we're video conferencing. Um, I I always am like, you want to zoom? (laughs) My mother, who's 76 years old, Zooms with me all the no, time. No, my yeah. mother. My mom can't oh, really? even. I don't even think my mom can listen to a podcast. <laughs> but, but so I have I have a new client um, that I just uh, was speaking with. It's a, a coaching client, a legal coaching client. Um, and she's uh, 78. And she wow. thinks it's wonderful that she can, yeah. as she says, beam herself into my office. That's <laughs> My dad, on the other hand, my dad is, is 78 and he, sorry, dad. Um, he is like, he's, it's what he does for a living. He does like computer stuff for, so he's actually up on hip to all of it, but yeah, um, it's great. I do. I think it's great. And it, it, it is true, right? It's always the industry that's so far behind all the Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, another sort of side gig I have is training other professionals in how to use Zoom to mediate, to right. approximate the mediation process that would happen in their office. And it's it's actually kind of exploding. I'm, I'm almost busier doing that these days than I am with mediations uh, because people are finally catching on that this is the new wave and clients are beginning to not just want it, but expect it. Um, yes, that's so, I think that's so important. So yeah. important. Um, I want to get back to this sort of like litigation versus mediation thing because, um, you know, I find, right. I think that people choose to litigate versus mediate because they're pissed 
because they're, they're angry and they want retribution and they want to go for the jugular, you know, and if someone feels that they've been wronged by the other party, then like, this is a great way to get back at them. And one of the things that I advocate for very often is a way to cooling off period. Like we have to do it in so many other aspects, but you know, people get divorced when they split up, they want to do it now. They want to just like, it's like, get it off, get it off, get it off, dive in right where you are in this horrible anger. And we've talked about this, you know, getting divorced, making the huge, the biggest legal and financial decisions of your life in the middle of the biggest upheaval of your life is a terrible idea. (laughs) 100% a terrible idea. So, um, you know, I feel like people jump into, and this sort of speaks to your, the mindfulness aspect of what you do. So I would love to, for you to talk a bit about that. I mean, I don't know if that's why, why you do what, the, the mindfulness aspect of it, but I'm assuming that's how it in. It's exactly why we do it. Um, and uh, because, you know, Rebecca Zung, my, my partner in Breaking Free Mediation, as well as the podcast, um, we're both longtime litigators. And the one thing that we know very, very well is exactly what you just said, that people come through our door as litigators because they want what we call divorce justice. They want the court to punish the other side. They want their hide nailed to the wall. And, you know, let me just be the first one to tell you all, and I know I'm not the first one, you are not going to get divorce justice in a divorce court. That is not what divorce courts are set up for. Um, And, you know, so I've always told clients that, but they'll still go down that road. But when we started our mediation practice together, we, we talked about this fact that this is why so many people will avoid mediation because they don't think they're going to get their justice there. And they, because they are so upset and because they are unable to think clearly, because when you are going through a divorce, I know this, I've been through my own divorce. I've been doing it for now 30 years with people. The emotions that you are feeling are anger, hurt, you know, and and number one, fear. You know, fear is probably one of the biggest ones, but anger and fear, I would say right up there at the top. And those drive you and drive your decision-making so that when you are faced with trying to come to compromises, because that's how you get to agreement, people are unable to be reasonable. So we thought, both of us being people who are very centered in our own mindfulness practices in our own life, why would we not combine mindfulness techniques and practices into both the mediation process itself, Mm -hmm. as well as providing those tools to our clients going through the process so that they can find mindfulness assistance and emotional control and regulation outside of the process and bring it into the process when, when they're mediating. And we have found it to be remarkably effective for people. Amen, sister. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's, it's so important. And I feel like, you know, I think that the other reason that people go into litigation is they don't really know that there are other options available. Right. I mean, and this is what happened to me when I first went into when, when I, we were first going to get divorced and we were like, well, I guess we should mediate. We didn't really know what the hell we were talking about. Um, we were like, there's nothing that we need to fight about. Right. And I, and I, but I, 
consulted an attorney because I wanted to know what I was legally entitled to. And there's the entitled (laughs) stay at home mom. Like I didn't know based on his income, like I'm going to go into mediation and someone's going to throw out a number. I don't know what the law says, you know, I'm entitled to. (laughs) And so I went in and I sat with this uh, divorce attorney and very quickly he was like, starting to make this really nasty. And he was like, well, you know, based on his income versus your income, which was zero and, you know, his, uh, you know, and and percentage of custody 50, 50, which is what I said I wanted. Um, you'll get this much money. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And he was like, but if you see, if we slide this over and you get more custody, custody. Then I, you're going to get more money. And I was like, I, but I, but my husband is a fantastic father. Like he's a very dedicated father. I don't want to take my son away from him. He's like, well, you know, if you, if you wanted to, you know, accuse him of being an unfit parent, then we could get, and he just like, he was, he, this was his track that he was trying to make it. He was trying to get me to accuse my ex of all sorts of shit so that I could get more money from him and so that he could get more money from me was basically, you know, I think he saw dollar signs when he saw my, my husband's income and he was like, all right, we're going to, you know, make bank on this one. And, you know, it was nothing. And I walked out of there and I was like, well, I understand. I know now the baseline of what I should be asking for, but wow, I can also see how this could go really poorly for someone who was more vulnerable, who was less committed to the sort of righteous, <laughs> that's a terrible word, but th- that, you know, the, the, the mediating, the, the, the fair path really. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, kudos to you first off that you went into the process with a mindset of being fair and knowing what you thought that meant because yeah. so many people are looking to be told what's fair. That's what they're looking for when they go to an attorney. I just want what's fair. You tell me what it is. Right. Um, and and right. really what's fair is what you and your soon to be ex-spouse think is fair and what works for you, which again you know, is the mediation route where you get to decide that. But Mm -hmm. that is exactly what I have found is that when, you know, not all, I mean, I was a divorce attorney litigator for a long time. I tried very hard to keep my clients from having this be a train wreck of an experience. I, I really did. Yeah. You don't have any control over the attorney who's on the other side. Right which can be a a disaster. And you have to respond to the fire that is sent your client's way. So for example, with what you just said, if you had accused your husband of being an unfit parent, I can pretty much tell you what would have had to come back at you, unfit mom. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's absurd. And, and then you're going to have a custody evaluation and then you're going to have probably a family relations study and you're going to have a parent coordinator and you're going to need some, you know, interim order. So some RFOs are going to get filed. Well, yes, you're right. That means your attorney is going to do a lot of work and attorneys get paid by the hour. We get paid a very nice sum of money for that hourly rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is something of a business model. And I'm not saying that that's 
every litigator or that's right. what was in that attorney's mind. But a reality of litigation is it all takes a lot of time. Every motion that gets filed, every conference call you have with your attorney that they then have to go transmit to the other attorney who then transmits it to their client. That's all billed. Yep. All rolls up and it also rolls up the anxiety and the anger. I mean, imagine how your ex would have felt if a pleading came through oh in black and white God. that said something nasty about his parenting. I mean, you can't attack anyone any lower. No, it would have been a disaster. It would have been an absolute disaster. I mean, it, I can't even imagine. And it, yeah, <laughs> to get to get more child support. Um, Right. Right. It is one of the reasons why you're in California, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm licensed in California and practice there. Um, one of the reasons why I don't love California's child support guidelines worksheet is that it does put the timeshare percentages into the mix. Connecticut, yep. where I'm also licensed, does not take that into consideration. Oh, that's it's, interesting. It, yeah. It's out of the mix. And I have found in the in the period of time that I've practiced in California, it has increased the the litigation or the the difficulty of arriving at a parenting plan that's appropriate and fair and in the children's best interest because sometimes money's behind it, not the best Exactly. Exactly. The fact that child support is tied to percentage of custody here is, and in a lot of states, yeah. is really detrimental. And it puts it 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 puts children squarely in the middle. It it just makes them the pawn in the entire game, and it's it's awful. So what do you do, right? If you really, if you, if someone's listening to this and they're like, I really want to mediate, but my husband or my my wife like just will not come to the table in a mediation process. What, is it possible to mediate? Is it possible to get there? How, how, what's your recommendation on that? You know, so I, this happens all the time because I think you've probably seen the phenomena that in most cases, one of the parties is more ready to move the divorce forward than the other one. One of them has usually been going through the, should I stay or should I go process? (laughs) (laughs) Kudos to Kate. Um, If you're there, by the way, you know, that's my thing, right? (laughs) If you're listening to this podcast, I do hope you know that that Kate can help you with that question. But once, you know, so we get that all the time where one of the parties has done their homework. They know what mediation is. They've gone and gotten some recommendations. They throw the recommendation out to the other party and the other party's knee-jerk reaction is, well, if you're recommending it, it must be a bad idea because you want a divorce and I'm, you know, this is a horrible thing. Exactly. Yep. There are, as I, I alluded to this earlier when we were talking, there are many different reasons why people choose to go to mediation. Uh, Mediation is 100% voluntary. There are court-ordered mediations. California has. If you have a custodial issue, it has to go to court-ordered mediation beforehand. But what I'm talking about and what you and I are talking about is people going to mediation by choice Right. With well, a mediator yeah. to get through their whole divorce, not right. this court ordered one. Um, yeah. Which is often the court ordered ones. I mean, it's, it can be so perfunctory and just, <laughs> you know, the re- anything that's required becomes mm-hmm. something that you have to do. Right. And some people, I will not say it's not successful, but, you know, statistics show that certainly a mediation that you choose over one that's imposed upon you, just like right. a 
court order that is imposed upon you versus an agreement that you make because you think it's fair is, is going to have more staying power. But when you're talking with your spouse about mediation, here's where the fact that you two have been in a relationship for a really long time, usually, and you know each other pretty well, here's where that can come to play to help you. What motivates your spouse? What incentivizes them? So there are several things that that are benefits of mediation, and we've alluded to them. One is that it is infinitely less expensive than litigation. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars less. Right. But there are other benefits. It is much faster than litigation. So for people who do not want to drag the, what I call, eighth rung of hell of limbo (laughs) that you live in while you're going through your divorce out, you know, that whole period of time while you're getting divorced, you can't spend money. You can't move. You can't buy, you don't know what your parenting plans. I mean, it's it's terrible. Yeah. So that motivates some people. Some people want to have that amicable divorce. They want, they see themselves as a peaceful person and they want to be able to move through the process in a way that is perceived as peaceful. And perception can be something. So some people want to be seen as I'm a good enough person to work through this in, a, in mediation with my spouse. I'm not fighting this. Yeah. I'm not a, a mean person. Yes. I'm sure ego had so much to do with why my ex and I ended up with such a good, like we wanted, we were like, okay, we failed at that thing. We're going to kick this thing's ass. And we became like the poster children for divorce. Right. And I think that we both kind of got a little bit of an ego thing out of it. It was like, you know, it started my career, by the way. Um, You know, but for him, it was also like, you know, he's the stellar dad. He's the stellar ex-husband. He, you know, he still comes and gets dead animals out of my backyard. (laughs) Well, that's a plus. (laughs) My ex-husband does not do that. (laughs) But but you have, well, there you go. And you have a new husband. I don't have a new husband. So, you know. My new husband gets the dead animal. Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't have one of those. But so you're you're identifying exactly, you know, one of those things. And this is what I always say. I actually, I did a YouTube video on this. I mean, even if you're dealing with a narcissist, you can heal. Especially. Yes, exactly. Especially if you're, right, you appeal to what works for them. Yep. You're going to, that's how you get what you want. So, you know, they want to look good to the outside world. So, you know what? Well, people perceive mediation as the kinder, gentler way to get divorced. And and that's a little bit of a myth too. Let me just, you know, dispel that for a second. If you're going to sit in the same room or be in a virtual conference room with the person you're getting divorced from, don't expect that it's all going to be flowers and, you know, harp music. There will be difficult conversations, but that's why you have your professional there, your, your neutral professional who's there to support both of you and help you facilitate those difficult conversations. That's our job. We're good at it. Yes. Um, But that's, you know, there are many reasons that you can get your spouse or many ways and incentive um, incentives that you can provide to your spouse to say, at least consider this. And I always say, don't just give them one mediator, give them three potential mediators or say to them, you go out and find a couple mediators and I'll be happy to talk to them. Right. Absolutely. There's a great book about this. I don't know. Um, she's been on my podcast, the author of the book, Lindsay Ellison, and it's called Magic Words. Do you know Lindsay? Yes. Yes. 
And and so just to plug back to that podcast episode for those who are listening who haven't watched, listened to it, that, you know, this is how to, it's magic words, how to get what you want from a narcissist. And it's all about how to speak to exactly what you're talking about. Find out what they, what really matters to them and what makes them tick and speak to that. And it's, you know, it can be seen as manipulation. It's also just like, you know, smart communicating, right? It, it's, yes, it's exactly smart communicating. I actually, one of the um, byproducts of being a divorce litigator, um, high profile in a high net worth area for a long time was that I did a large number of high conflict divorce cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've become something of a, you know, I'm going to put this in air quotes, expert on dealing with high conflict divorces. and the number one reason that people get so bogged down in it is that they communicate with the person with the high conflict personality as if that person perceived things the same way that they do. That what motivates you to be a good mom or a good dad or this or that is what's going to motivate your narcissist. And it's completely the opposite. It's just not. And that is, you know, that is communication 101. I mean, I teach this with my clients is that you, in in any form of communication with a narcissist or not, you have to know who you're speaking to and what matters to them and speak to that, not the way that you, not things that matter to you or, right, there's a whole science of communication. You're going to get feedback. Is this landing? If it's not landing, you adjust your communication because you want your communication to land. Yes. It behooves you. Right? You want to be heard. You're not there right. just throwing a bunch of words at a wall and watching right. them drip down. Right. You want to get through to the other side. You want to come to agreements. And so the, actually getting, look at it this way. If you can find something that makes it worth your spouse's time and makes it acceptable to them to come to the mediation table, you just created your first agreement. Mm-hmm. You just agreed yeah. together to come to mediation. So, and, and that's what I was saying earlier. You may be there because you want to have an amicable divorce, or you may be there because you want to save money, but your spouse may be there for some entirely different reason. And it does not matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is that you're both there and you have a reason to be there. Because that's what will keep you there when it gets a little tough because it's easy. And you, I hear this, all mediators hear this fine. If you're not going to accept what I just put on the table, I'm going to go to a lawyer and we're going to let a judge decide. Everybody throws that out. Like it's magic words in a, in a mediation. It's the worst thing you can say, but what really keeps them in the room is they don't want that. They're in mediation because they either want it to be less expensive or they want it to be less stressful or they want it to be, you know, faster, whatever those reasons are. Um, So you just need to, before you even go to your spouse and have the conversation with them about how to move through the divorce process, think about who they are, what motivates them, and what would motivate them to come to that table and work with you. Yes. And, you know, the other thing that I'll add to that, because I think that's all brilliant, right, is that um, what I, when I, when I coach people through the conversation, through the, I want a divorce conversation, um, the thing that I often have to remind them is that, and that you alluded to this earlier, which is why I'm bringing it up, that you've been thinking about this for a long ass time. This is brand new information for them. 
no matter how many times you've been saying it or thinking about it or sort of like, you know, threatening it or whatever, when you actually have the conversation, say, I'm done. I want a divorce. This is brand new information to them. And you have to allow them time to process it in the, on their own before you then bring the next step. Right. So I have women who are like, they finally did it. They're like, Oh my God, I finally, it's like, I got it out. I got it out. And now I want to talk about this and I want to do it. And I'm like, hold up (laughs) because he's not ready. Yeah. Give him time. Give him the dignity of the time to process this information because he's going to be a far more willing participant if you allow him the time to process. Yeah. I could not agree more with that because what I saw and often what you see in a litigation process is I would usually advise my clients to warn the other side that something was happening, but I would have clients, you know, on the day of the marshal showing up at the door with the paperwork to serve them, they'd, they'd tell them then. And then the whole process would start with some stranger, you know, are you John Smith, you've been served. You've been served. Yes. It's a terrible start to an already difficult process. Yeah, I so have people I say, like, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to serve him while I'm gone. And I'm like, that's, please don't do that. <laughs> no, I had people who wanted to serve it on Valentine's Day, wanted to serve it on their wedding anniversary or on the other person's um, birthday. I had one lady who wanted to serve it on Christmas Eve. Oh my God. When he was with his family. I mean, and it's just like, you're not, first of all, that's cruel. Secondly, you're not going to then get a willing participant in anything when you know you're going to get war fire like that. Right. Exactly. Get war. So take the time. So this is where the mindfulness process comes in. Right. So this is why you're offering this mindfulness track with the work that you do. Is that part of your, your online, your online mediation is the mindfulness track with it? Yeah. So we have, as I said, um, we have the mindfulness actually incorporated into our actual process. We have a streamlined agenda and roadmap process to move through the divorce case. And we've incorporated right into the process, things like intention setting, uh, which is, really one of the most incredibly helpful tools, both for the couple and for the mediators, because when things can get upsetting or a little heated in the mediation process, bringing the parties back to their intentions is very powerful in getting them back to a reasonable mindset. And that's what we're always trying to do. We want you to make the decisions in that room or in that process from a reasonable and reasoned place. Mm -hmm. Because what you said earlier is so true. These are decisions that are amongst the biggest financial, emotional, uh, family, child parenting decisions you're ever going to make. And they are going to stay with you in many cases forever. So you should not be making them in a turmoil of negative emotion. But we also have um, mindfulness professionals that we can pair up with our clients. We have energy healers. We have meditation experts um, who can help them depending on what's the issue for them, uh, for that particular client, and can support them with mindfulness tools to use in their everyday life. Universally, clients come out of the mindful mediation process pleased that they now have a mindfulness component in their life. Even clients who have a mindfulness practice 
prior to the divorce feel that they have expanded their understanding and knowledge of mindfulness in their lives as they go through this process. So it's a twofold approach and, you know, it's not, there's still emotion. We're not saying that you're not going to be upset or you're not going to be sad, but what we're trying to do is in the moment of making decisions, give you tools to bring your emotional content down mm-hmm. so that you can think reasonably and make those good decisions. I just think that's brilliant. I really do. <laughs> no one else was doing it. We were absolutely shocked it's when we brilliant. did the business model and we couldn't find anyone else out there doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's utterly brilliant. I love it. I love it. I recommend everybody do it this way if you're getting divorced. A hundred percent. So you mentioned earlier, I've heard you talk about this before that you do legal coaching. What is, can you explain what that, what that means? Yeah, it really, rel- it, it goes over more into the realm of sitting with clients and talking with them about an overall strategy for moving their case forward. Because, you know, I have been doing this for 30 years. I have been a litigator and have been through so many different kinds of cases with clients, as well as having a fairly extensive legal knowledge in this area after so many years of doing it, that one of the things that I have found to be very helpful for clients, even if they're mediating with another mediator, is to sit with them and help them to plot out where they're going. Because Mm -hmm. so often when people are going through divorce, you know, when you're married, even if the marriage isn't going well, you have a picture of your future. And then you enter into the divorce space or that eighth rung of hell that I talked about, (laughs) limbo, divorce limbo. And suddenly, yeah, suddenly the future is this big black hole. And many people just sort of wander through the hole waiting for whatever the decisions are going to be and then go forward and live their life. So I very much encourage my clients and work with them to start from what they would like to see their future look like. It's different, but it's their future. Right. And then I help them craft from a legal perspective agreements that they want to be making to get them there. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So that's like just a separate service that you have, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and actually I, we're doing as much of that as we are doing the, the mediations, um, because it's, it's very focused. It's very practical. It may sound a little woo-woo in the, yes, we're going to create a future. But what what it is, is if you told me that you want to uh, go back to school or you want to be, go back to teaching, say you had been a teacher so many years ago. Well, what we'd be looking at is what do you need? Do you need more alimony or, or spousal support up front so that you can go back and get your certifications? So right. let's negotiate your spousal support settlement from a perspective of more upfront tapering off faster or things like that we can talk about and strategize so that when you go into your mediation or even your litigation or your collaborative process or whatever, or sit down with your spouse and talk to them, you know what you're trying to achieve. And it's just, most people find that very, very helpful because this is not a world absolutely we, we think we're in. Right. And it's so, and it's, you know, it's so hard I think when you're in the process, when you're in that eighth round of hell, to be that forward thinking, 
Right. I know I wasn't. I was just like, I don't know, like, you know, (laughs) and I also, you know, I think I I had some very unreasonable expectations about what my future was going to look like. And, you know, I just thought, well, you know, I'd be remarried in a couple of years and, you know, everything would be fine. And, you know, and what, you know, what happened was I'm I'm still single. (laughs) I'm not remarried. It's 10 years later. Right. Like, I am now fully self-supporting and that's all of that's wonderful, but I just, I hadn't really, I think I would have, I would have benefited from something like that. Some kind of like, all right, let's really look at, talk about your future and like what this is going to look like and um, you know, what you need to create, to prepare for that. Yeah. It's, it's it's sort of an outcropping of, the cases that I saw, and it happened often when I was litigating, where clients during the litigation process would be very determined to achieve a certain outcome, such as this this one came up all the time. I want the house. I yes, must that's, have that's the house. Number one. Yeah. I mean, I, I all the time. And I cannot tell you how many clients came back after the divorce was finalized who said, I wish I hadn't fought for the house. It's costing me a fortune. I don't want to live there. The memories are bad. It's too big. I don't like, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. They need your expensive. Uh, It's often too expensive. It's that's, that's the biggest, um, you know, financial mistake. I think people make is fighting for the house because, you don't think that all the way through. <laughs> well, I, what so many people do, and I, I will generalize and say, say women, but what many people do is they tie security and emotional content and their children's lives into yes. the house. And so they negotiate a settlement that gives them enough money to keep the house afloat. Mm-hmm. And they do not realize that if they are spending every cent that's coming in and putting it into this piece of property. Yes, they have a piece of property, but what is that? That's an illiquid asset that yes, you could refinance and suck some money out of, but then you get another debt mm-hmm. and it's not moving you forward to any future. It's actually exactly your past. Exactly. So that's exactly. one example. And it's something yeah. that we explore all the time with the legal coaching. That's, I love it. I love it. Susan, thank you so much. I I feel like we could talk about all of this all day, but I so appreciate you bringing your expertise for this and all of Susan's information will be in the show notes so that you can contact her and hire Susan and and Rebecca to mediate you through your divorce process online from anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Anywhere you want to be. Yes. Just We'd like be happy to help practice. You. Exactly. This is what this is what we do. It's great. Thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us about this. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I truly appreciate the opportunity to be able to share the mediation process and mindfulness and, and all of this with, yeah. with your listeners. And just quickly, where can people find you? So you can find us through www.breakingfreemediation.com. The podcast is Breaking Free, a modern divorce podcast, which is available on all the major podcast outlets. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that I did uh, want to offer to your listeners um, is I have, I was um, very honored recently to be selected as one of the contributing authors to a book um, called Divorce Insights, Conversation with 
conversations with America's leading divorce uh, attorneys. And that book will be coming out by the end of the month. So I'd like to offer a free copy to the first um, five listeners who send me an email at susan at breakingfreemediation.com. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.